We are so glad that you are here this morning. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Hey, uh, I would like to read a few verses here. Uh, as we, uh, I've been looking forward to this morning for a long time. And uh, the Lord uh, has a special blessing for you this morning. And uh, I have a little bit of fear and trembling in my heart. Uh, I'd like to read from... Uh, Four verses, Matthew 19, verse 14. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. James 1, 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God is this. Visit orphans and widows in their distress. In Proverbs 31, 8, 9. Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all the unfortunate, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. I'm going to make it. James 2:15 and 16. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and yet you don't give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? You can see we have three chairs up here this morning. And I'm really glad the youth are in. Uh, how many of the youth are here this morning? Can we see a, anybody awake? Yeah? All right. I'm really glad that you are here this morning because I think the Lord has a special word for you guys. And uh, it's our joy to interview uh, Robin and Joyce Hill this morning. And I'd like to ask them to come on up. And uh, Robin and Joyce are amazing, godly. They've given so much of their lives. You guys can pick whichever side you would like to sit on, and I'll choose the other seat. And we're just uh, thrilled to have them. And we thought it would be meaningful to you all, to us all, to get to know them a little bit better, to hear their story a bit more this morning. And uh, so, Robin, I'm sorry for all the shaking and all of that, but uh, I just want to know, uh, I want you to know how much uh, joy and anticipation I feel this morning that we get to interview both of you, and uh, we just thank, let me just say a word of prayer. Lord, uh, please uh, bless our words, and we pray that you would give us uh, the ability to lift high the name of Jesus. In your wonderful name we pray, amen. Uh, please give us some of your background story and how you two met the Lord and each other. That, that's a scary thing to ask us, really. <laughs> he's a brave lad, isn't he? I know why he's in fear and trembling, because he never knows what I'm going to say. Somebody the other day at a luncheon said that the first memory they have of me was that it was the first person they'd ever heard cuss in church. And <laughs> she's sitting there laughing her head off now. I promise I won't cuss. But thank you, John. That's right. Yeah. Well, I was supposed to go first, aren't I? I, I grew up in England. Uh, my father was a very strong Christian. He led a youth group in an Anglican church. He was a Baptist and led a youth group in an Anglican church, which was a bit weird. And, but, but for many, many years, a very, very 
on fire group. Unfortunately, I had a son that was really only interested in girls and smoking. So I was the typical pastor's disgraced son, if you like. So I sort of, you know, I, I, I must have embarrassed my poor dad so much during his uh, life of working as a youth leader when he got such a rebellious son. So finally, I got married. We, uh, me and my first wife, we actually moved from England and we went as far away from England as we could possibly get. We went to New Zealand. And in a way, I think my dad was relieved and also sad, you know, I mean, because he, yeah, my, I lived with my dad on my own because my mom and him were divorced uh, fairly early on when I was young. So I went to New Zealand. I went to work for a company in New Zealand. the owner of the company and the two sons in the company were Christians. The owner was a very conservative Christian. The two sons were really wild. And they used to drive around Christchurch in a hearse and all sorts of things. But they were very unconventional Christians. And so working with these guys, I saw a completely different side of Christianity. You know, my life as a, I'd grown up in a very uh, orthodox church. And it was, it was a, uh, yeah, it wasn't a good impression that I had of Christianity. Whereas these guys were real, the two young sons. Um, they produced a, a magazine called The Living Waters. And I remember one day somebody, one of them gave me one of these magazines. And I deliberately hid it in my car so that my wife wouldn't read it so that she wouldn't get all religious. I, I was a bit scared about that, you know, that sort of I didn't want anybody getting religious on me, in my family. And so uh, that night uh, I had to go and babysit at a friend's house. And uh, they'd left me some drinks, some beer to drink, and uh, the babies to look after. <laughs> a little bit of a weird mixture, but... <laughs> and I remember sitting there in their lounge... And I had this magazine. I'd taken it in with me just to have a look through it. And I I remember sitting there in this lounge arguing with God because I couldn't find the bottle opener for the beer. And I'm like, okay, I'll read the stupid newspaper if you find me the bottle opener, you know. Well, I can't remember actually whether I ever found that bottle opener, but I did read the magazine. And I I can remember today that the front was made up of a picture that was made up of the words... Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and it was just a magazine of testimonies of different people that were had become Christians people around my age group I went home that night I showed the magazine to my wife at the time and she, she was interested in what was being said and so I rang the friend up one of these guys up and said hey can you come around and tell us more about this Jesus guy you know and he said are you for real? Because it was like midnight, you know. And, so, and I said, yeah, yeah, really. So I've just been living, living water. Can you come and tell us more about it? You know, he said, no wonder I had such a beep of a day. Just for you at the back. And, and he came over and he walked into our house and he, he walked in the door and he opened the door. And I'll never forget his expression. He walked in the door and he went, oh my goodness me, you guys are really serious, aren't you? And obviously, you know, he walked in and he just sensed the Holy Spirit there, you know, in a very powerful way. And that night, my wife and I gave our lives to the Lord and we sort of continued on as Christians. We sort of ended up getting baptized in the sea. We were part of a group that was um, 
really on the wild end of charismatic. Uh, my first service that I went to, no, my first service was a Baptist church that was really close to us. The second service that I went to was on a Monday night, and I walked into a crowd of people, and they were speaking in tongues and interpreting and prophesying and singing these amazing worship songs and I'm like what? That's, that's not church that I ever remember in the Anglican church you know so I've grown up in a very mixed sort of Christian background you can go now Okay. Um, I grew up very differently I was born in Singapore and my parents divorced when I was about five and my mother remarried when I was about eight. And I grew up in a very violent and unloving home. I was constantly told that I was stupid, I was ugly, and there was always some sort of violence going on with alcohol with my stepfather. And it was really hard growing up then. But when I went to university, I still carried a lot of pain of my childhood with me. And I remember the first year of university, we only had three subjects to study. That was biochemistry, physiology, and anatomy. And at the end of the first year, I failed every single subject. And I thought, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to please my mother anymore. Because she told me that I was going to be a doctor. It wasn't my choice to be a doctor. And I felt that if you fail, you have two months to resit the exams. And I thought, if I have failed everything in 12 months, there's no way in the world I can pass everything in two months. But the dean of my university was a very kind man. He called me to his office, and I was crying and sobbing and trembling. But he said to me that I would be a very good doctor one day, that for the next two months, my stepfather did not exist for me, my home life did not exist for me, and the only thing that existed for me was biochemistry, physiology, and anatomy. And he gave me courage to carry on with it. I had no other choice, really, of that or face my mother, which was pretty hard. So at the end of the last paper that I'd done, I just wanted to go out for a walk, and I, went, I left the hospital, I went for a walk down the street. And at that time, I was a Muslim. My stepfather, for some reason, had decided that we were going to all be Muslims. So I had a Muslim name, and I had no business going to a church. But there was an empty church there. I don't, don't even remember what denomination it was. But I went in by one of the side doors, and I knelt down, and I said, God, I have done everything possible to pass these exams. I give my life to you now, and if I fail, it's because you want me in a different direction. If I pass, it's because you want me to be a doctor for whatever reason. But I can't do any more than I've already done. And at that point, I gave my life to the Lord, and I did pass, and I carried on, and I actually never failed another medical exam ever again. And I didn't know that I was going to end up in China, but that was a long story. So how did you guys meet? Well, I've been told, I've got to tell that part of the story because I, I, I'm the romantic. My, my wife is the A-type 
this is this, this and this. But we did fall in love, didn't we? I don't remember. <laughs> I had a stroke last year, so I forget lots of things. <laughs> uh, that's why I'm on her phone as my crazy husband, you know, so... But, uh, well, you know, the story goes on. Uh, my marriage broke up in uh, Australia. We, I, I left New Zealand and went with my first wife to uh, Australia. Uh, it was, uh, our marriage, even though we were Christians, even though things were going well, really fell apart. And, uh, you know, I think we both sort of walked away from the Lord, if you want to put it that way. I don't think we can walk away from the Lord. He never lets us go, you know. He doesn't ever let us go. And so... But we, it, uh, basically our marriage fell apart and we, we were divorced in uh, Australia. And Joyce's marriage had fallen apart as well. And uh, I one day took my kids to her surgery uh, for medical treatment. So I wasn't the patient. Okay, I just want to make that really clear right at this point in time. I wasn't the patient. It was one of my kids that was the patient. And uh, her and her... Uh, she asked me, oh, she said, where's Vicky? You know, that was my first wife because she knew my first wife. And, and uh, I said, oh, well, she's back in New Zealand. She's gone off and, we, we, you know, we, we, we're divorced sort of thing. And uh, her and her assistant, uh, the, the receptionist, were determined to find me a wife because they felt sorry for me. But I was actually, I quite fancied her, you know. And I knew that they, her marriage had broken up, but I wasn't really interested in that. And so we, am I dishonouring the family care, Katie? <laughs> Caitlin's told us that I'm not allowed to embarrass her. So, and she's just standing there waving at me. So. But we, uh, we met at that point in time through our kids. We got married. And uh, yeah, we did fall in love. I can tell you that, I'm sure. But, uh, there's an interesting story that, that goes alongside of that. Uh, I think I felt sorry for his children. He was feeding them baked beans. Every meal. Every day. They had no friends. They were in meat pies and all sorts of things. So, Robin, how did God bring you to starting the ministry that you have going at at Hope? Okay. I think John's saying, come on, get on with it. (laughs) (laughs) But at that time, at that time, when Joyce and I are getting to know one another, we're two divorced people getting married, supposed to be Christians. Lots of people would say, you're not supposed to be getting married, you're supposed to be putting your other marriage back together. I, in my heart, just felt like God kept on saying, just trust me, just trust me, just trust me. And it was over and over again, you know. I felt that, that God was saying, trust me, you know. At the same time as that was all happening, completely unbeknown to us, obviously, here in China, in Beijing, in a little village called Chinyuandin, there was a Christian guy, Chinese Christian guy, in a little fellowship that was in that village. And God gave him a dream. And there was a piece of land in that village that was supposedly cursed because somebody had committed suicide on that piece of land. God gave this guy, the Chinese guy, a dream. And then in the dream he said that foreigners will come to that piece of land and we'll buy it and we'll build an orphanage and he told the people in that little group that he'd had that dream and that was round about the same time as Joyce and I were actually getting together and getting married so that's 
If you want to know how it started, it started there. Then, then bring us to the point of how the vision came and how you guys began, um, yeah, the, the ministry of hope. Just okay. Do you want to talk a little bit about that or no? No. Oh, all right. I have to do all the talking. With the, we came to China. 20 years ago. Uh, in last November it was actually 20 years. I worked for a Swedish engineering company and they offered me a job working here in Beijing to build up the organization here. And when we first came, we actually were part of a little home group and we, we were studying James and we got to the scripture that talked about widows and orphans and we felt that it would be a good idea to go and visit an orphanage and so we did. We went to uh, Tianjin Orphanage at the time and uh, Joyce, being a medical doctor, she asked the orphanage director if she could go and see where their sort of medical facilities were, where they had the younger children. And so we went up onto the third floor, and uh, what we saw there was really, really sad, wasn't it? I think it was the most heartbreaking thing I'd ever seen in my life. There were children that were just three to four in a crib. The place smelt of urine. The children weren't even crying. They'd emotionally shut down and they were just waiting to die, basically. There was only one caregiver that would come in with a pair of rubber gloves to change a few diapers. And they didn't even have diapers. They had torn up bed sheets with a piece of string around them. And that was all the care the children had. And it just broke our hearts. I'd never, ever seen anything like that before. Oh, yeah. It was a really horrible afternoon, really. And uh, I know I picked up one baby. I'm not sure it's a little boy or girl. And they pointed to the window, and it was like, you know, what do we do? Uh, we hadn't even thought of adoption or doing anything other than going and visiting, you know. But it was like this child was saying, I don't know whether the child was saying, take me out of here, or can I look outside? You know, it was, and it broke my heart. I know, and I think that we came out of that. Orphanage, and we stood at the gates of the orphanage and prayed and said, Lord, we never ever want to come back unless we can do something to really change things for these kids. There was, there's nothing wrong to go and visit and just to do something on a small scale, but it's, to, for us it felt like, you know, we don't ever want to come back unless we can do something to really change things. I think, you know, there's a part of me in my heart that said, I never want to come back because it was a horrible visit, you know, I mean, it wasn't a pleasant experience at all. So really, that's, for us, that prayer at that gate to the orphanage was the start of something that took God three and a half years to answer because it was, no doors were open for us to do anything at all. We tried different things, different ways of actually getting into helping orphanages and it wasn't until we were actually right at the end of our four-year contract. It finished in December. It was the middle of November and we were shareholders in the little company that made refrigerator magnets and they were going to buy a piece of land in this village, Chinu and Din, that, that we were talking about. And it is the piece of land that was cursed. And uh, they were talking about buying that piece of land and building a community centre and uh, do, what could they do with the community centre. We went to a meeting, a board meeting that they were having and there were lots of things talked about there. Uh, Joyce was actually the shareholder. She was the owner of the little Beijing office that sold refrigerator magnets. But 
and they were terrible suppliers uh, to her little office and so she didn't really want to go to the meeting so she sat there with her arms folded the whole thing didn't say a word but after the meeting we came and we sat in the car and we said I turned to Joyce and I said what did you think about all of that and she looked at me and said okay <laughs> that was your cue to say something she looked at me and said I think that God's asking us to get into a river. I don't know where we're going to end up, but I'd like to ask these guys for a third of the land. We'll build our home, we'll build a foster home, and we'll look after sick orphan babies. And I'm like, what? Where did that come from? And we both burst out crying. And I mean, it was just like God was sitting in the car there with us. And it wasn't like he was saying, I want you to do this. You know, it was like he was saying, come on, get in the river this is going to be something that I'm going to walk with you. And uh, that was the start. Robin, uh, Joyce has struggled with physical difficulties over the last several years. And uh, a really big one happened about a year ago. So can you just share about those two things the, that have, have, you guys have had those challenges as well? Okay. Would you want to share about headaches? I'll try and remember. <laughs> Um, when we actually started the foster home or started the ministry, my brain fluid started to leak through a hole in my spine. So whenever I sat up or lifted my head, I used to have excruciating headaches and I was unable even to get up, to, to even lift my head off the bed and even to go to the bathroom or do anything. And eventually the pain was so bad that I was actually quite delirious I think you said I was and uh, they took me to Beijing United Hospital and they said that I had a stroke but when they did a scan it didn't show any bleeding in the brain so they didn't know what was wrong with me so they medevaced me to Hong Kong and he was with me but he was more fascinated about the size of the Learjet's tires like how small they were and I'm thinking You've got a wife here that's nearly dying, and you're like interested in the Learjet tires. So, but anyway, ended up in Hong Kong, and the surgeon there, um, whom I didn't know at the time, who since that meeting has come now to help us, and he last year I think he came ten times to help our children, free of charge. He pays pays his own way. But at that time, we didn't talk about the ministry and we didn't talk about my work. But he told me what was wrong with me, but he said that it would heal on its own. And it did for a while, and then we began the ministry. But more leaks happened, and it just became worse and worse. And I was bedridden for about the last, I can't remember, five, four, four or five four, years, five years yeah. that I used to work in a flat position, Rob made a frame so he could put my computer up there so I could work in that position. And I had to take, if I needed to get up to examine a child, I would have to be on heavy drugs to be able to do that, which makes your mind pretty fuzzy, so it's not an ideal place or thing at all. And I think at that time we were looking after about 200, more than 200 children, and we had three different centers already. So that was really hard for me to do that. So I prayed really hard for another doctor to come and do my work. And Dr. Steve Martin, who is Rick's son-in-law, came to visit for six months and helped me for six months, but it's been 
four years and he's still here so and so I'm basically retired and and what happened uh, just about a year ago the big uh, thing that happened well I think a lot of people here know what happened I mean we were at Beijing United and uh, we were there for an examination and uh, suddenly Joyce had a massive stroke and basically a brain filled up with blood the, the doctors at Beijing United said there wasn't any chance that she was going to pass away the, the uh, bleed of that magnitude would not she wouldn't recover from it and so uh, it was hard you know we sort of we lost we thought we'd lost Joyce and uh, he finds it hard to talk about it but yeah, that's do. okay <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the, the, all of the family came here to, to visit. I mean, God obviously had a plan because, I mean, how often do you, people actually have a stroke in a hospital ward with the ICU doctors actually outside the door? I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anybody intubated so quickly in my whole life, you know what I mean? So she was in ICU. Uh, we thought we'd lost her. We told all the family to come to the funeral. We were going to turn the machine off when they arrived. And uh, in the middle of the night, uh, we were, uh, Amber and I were just lying on a bed and suddenly this one here opens her eyes. And Amber looked at me and said, Mom's just opened her eyes. And I'm like, no, no, she didn't. You know, she's, she's not going to be able to do that. She did, she did, she did. And so, yeah, God obviously had another plan, you know. That, uh, and, and today we sit here. And Joyce is recovering, you know. And I mean, the recovery is a process that's going on. But, uh... And what has God been teaching you through all of this? You. Do you want to share what you got? What's God been teaching um, you? I think after all these years, what I've learned, it's that it's not because I'm a doctor or because I have saved, served God in this way, in that capacity to save, heal, or comfort thousands of orphans, but because I'm a beloved child of God. And he doesn't see me as an ugly or stupid person. He sees me as a child of God that he loves dearly. And it doesn't matter what my profession is, I grieved hard after the stroke that I could no longer practice as a doctor because there's so many great needs out there. But I knew that I couldn't. But I know that God still loves me no matter what I do. Yeah. I think the other thing that I, I know that I've learned is that you know, one of the things that's hard for us is that everybody thinks, oh, aren't they wonderful people? You know, aren't they amazing sort of examples of faith and everything else? And we aren't at all. I mean, if you want to come in real close and have a look, you'll find out that we're absolutely no different from anybody else. We've got the same fears. We've got, we have the same struggles. We have the same difficulties in our marriage, you know? I mean, the... I remember getting up here one Sunday morning and saying that, that my wife that morning had said to me that I'd been abusive to her, you know, and I mean like we, we've struggled with so many different things and it's not about that at all, you know. The ministry that God's allowed us to be part of is just his work here in China 
you know, and he's using that to refine and to create the the people that he sees in each one of us. You know, that's 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 one of the things that goes on. Robin, how many babies are being cared for now through uh, Hope Foster Care? Would you estimate? Three hundred and forty-three, according to Dr. Martin's last report. And I heard about this one little girl that uh, did a lemonade stand, and she raised three hundred and fifty dollars. Tell me about her. Oh, I don't know that much about her. But I mean, one of the neat things for us is the the little things that we see people do. You know, I mean, it's great when you get donations of a hundred thousand dollars, but when you get a a little girl that makes lemonade out in the U.S. somewhere, and and she danced as well, didn't she? I think there was a wasn't there a little girl that I don't think she was selling lemonade. She could dance, so she put music on. And she, and she stood dancing. outside her door and she just danced in the streets for this, yeah. in this to raise funds foreign for community. Yeah. So we sort of like, you know. That was her gift, was a gift of dance, and that's how she used to help our babies. Well, we are so um, grateful as a church that we can be behind your ministry, and we really feel like it's our ministry as a church. And. Um, uh, I'm so thankful that we've been able to have this opportunity to interview you guys. And I would like to just uh, say a prayer. And I'd like to ask the elders to come up with, uh, with at this point. And uh, James and um, Mark, if you guys would come up. And we're just going to say a, a prayer. And anyone else who wants to come up and join us in just celebrating what God has done. So I'd like to ask Mark if he would open. And uh, I'll close our prayer. Lord God, we, we know, real, recognize as, as we uh, pray this prayer for, for Joyce and for Robin and, and just in thanksgiving and gratitude that every day is uh, a gift from you and is only by your grace. Lord, that uh, you give these to us and you keep us here as long as you intend for us to be here and then everything beyond is, is, is glory in your presence. Lord, I thank you for the way that you've used them to be your hands and feet with so many little ones in China. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work through them, work through those that they influence, through Steve and Laura and their family and others that work with them. And Lord, I pray especially for your day-to-day reassurance of Joyce, of Robin, that just as she said, how greatly they're loved, that they may pour that love into others. And so, Lord, we... Just ask for your encouragement, your grace, your comfort as you go forward. Thank you, Lord, for the gift that it is of walking with Robin and Joyce. Uh, thank you for the, the lives that have, you have saved, the lives who have been loved in their final moments. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for that witness, for that presence, and for the deep love that you have for the children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.